Warren. heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's it. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Consider these headlines. Ken Starr laments warns of decline of religion in American society. A Christian university faculty revolt after the board votes to affirm biblical view of sexuality. Another, I will not be intimidated into hiding my faith. A Christian official facing jail for believing God. Church fast-tracking drag queen to ministry gets spiritual wake-up call from the Southern Baptist leader. And then... Team Biden plans to change the center of gravity for Americans and from Americans to big government. Actually, from God to big government. So I welcome you to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And yes, we say that every day, but it is true. Every day we are confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. And today is no exception. When we look at these headlines, we find that things are becoming more and more difficult. A far-left government prosecutor plans to prosecute and jail a Christian who served for years as a member of Finland's parliament, including as the nation's interior minister for three years. Why? over her Christian faith. She refuses to be intimidated, and she refuses to agree with the homosexual agenda. And therefore, they, the government, want to prosecute her because she believes the Bible. But that's not all. The faculty members of Seattle Pacific University, a Christian university in Washington State, have cast a vote of no confidence in the leadership of the school's board of trustees, which a couple of weeks ago voted to affirm a biblical interpretation of sexuality. In total, the university's faculty senate of the Christian university received responses from 90% of all faculty members, 72% of whom favored the vote of no confidence against the decision of the board to uphold biblical sexuality. No wonder Ken Starr laments and warns of the decline of Christian religion in America. No wonder we're in the trouble we're in. No wonder a drag queen now is getting a ministry and spiritual wake-up call. Wow. What's his name? Simmons. His name is Simmons, 23 years of age, the first gay man certified to a position in the Illinois Great Rivers Conference of the United Methodist Church. He also, as far as anyone could tell, is the first drag queen certified in the United Methodist Church. In fact, 
Simmons made news when on April 11th he spoke on the Drag Sunday, virtual services as his drag alter ego, Ms. Petty Cost. Other drag performers were involved in the music and prayers. And the Christian publication Sojourners reported on Simmons this way, quote, preach the gospel and when necessary do it in drag. The Central Illinois man is on the path to church leadership in the United Methodist Church, breaking down barriers within the United Methodist Church. What do you think? Are we drifting, or have we already abandoned the faith once delivered to the saints? Is America backsliding, or have we already backslidden? That's a term that we don't hear much anymore. It used to be very common. A backslider, one who falls away from the faith, turns against God, or begins to live a life in radical con- contrariness to the Word of God and the will of God and the ways of God. One writer, in fact, he happens to be a businessman. He is a dedicated Christian businessman. His name is Bob Fraley, and every once in a while he sends out a pamphlet because he is desperately concerned about our country and especially the church in our country. His latest one is called Know Your Enemy. He disguises as an angel of light, and I want to share some excerpts from it with you today because I thought that it might be very helpful. Not coming from a pastor, but coming from a businessman who God gave success to as he walked in obedience. Obedience was the central factor of how God made him successful. He says, deception is determined by the fruit produced from one's actions compared to the teachings found in the Word of God. The fruit produced in our society by the body of Christ in recent years is the true barometer of our deception. This deception, he said, is a result of the overpowering ability our society has developed to influence and teach us its humanistic standards and secular worldly lifestyle. Deception breeds compromise, which will lead to disobedience of God's word and spiritual defeat. So if you want to find out why you're defeated, if you want to find out why there seems to be defeat in your church, if you want to find out why there's defeat in your city or in your home, you might want to take a look at the level of deception. Prophetic scriptures warn that we're living in the most one of the most difficult times ever to be a strong, committed follower of Jesus Christ. He writes, The downhill slide of righteous standards in our society in recent years has passed the point where God's values are no longer the major influence in the everyday life of many Americans. That wasn't true before America became the greatest superpower in the history of mankind, but before that, the standards Christians live by set the tone for the character of the majority of Americans, regardless of whether or not they were truly Christians. But that's now changed. The worldly standards that have been promoted in this generation in so-called Christian America have become too strong and far-reaching for us to avoid the effects of this spiritual warfare. The devil has never had so many opportunities to tempt people as easily as he does today. No longer does he have to lure us to some dimly lit part of town to show his wares. He just boldly comes right down into our homes, 
via the Internet, DVDs, TV, radio, CDs, magazines, books, you name it. Throughout history, the church has never had to deal with such a broad means of continuous temptation with the standards and ways of the world that our society's world system is now able to throw at Christians. But Satan's evil enticements are made conveniently available now, and all too many times we find his offerings very attractive, even as Christians. And yes, even in our churches and even in our church worship services. Neither Scripture or we as a people prohibit the U.S. from becoming a backslidden nation. In fact, Scripture makes it plain that the Jewish nation itself became so deceived by this clever enemy, Satan, that they totally missed the incarnation when God became man and visited planet Earth. And Satan is again masquerading as an angel of light used to deception to fool huge numbers in so-called Christian America. Has he gotten you? Are you sure? How about the fruit? We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Businessman Bob Fraley says you've got to know your enemy. Know your enemy. He says as we examine the facts, it soon becomes obvious that the ways of the world have had a lot more influence on Christians than we have had on the world during the last generation. And one of the strongest influences the world has had on Christian community has been to make us self-centered. A fruit of spiritual deception is to serve our self-interest over and above our desire to please God and put his standards first. So we might say we're standing against the tide, but in truth, we're simply a few decades behind the world's acceptance of many of our society's new moral standards. And what was permissible 20 or 30 years ago by the world is now acceptable by many, if not almost most Christians Finding a Christian who has a fear of sinning is very rare these days. Why? Well, because we have no fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord has been abandoned from pulpit to pew, from the church house to the White House, and the schoolhouse, and the courthouse. So this businessman goes on to say, Christians lack knowledge about how Satan is deceitfully attacking our faith in our country during these last days. And based upon the warnings from prophetic scripture about deception in these last days, and the fact that history confirms Satan has constantly waged warfare to destroy the church since its beginning, I trust you can see how critical it is for you to know your enemy. How Satan is using the method of spiritual deception rather than physical persecution, as was prophesied, to destroy true biblical Christianity in our country. So, 
He goes on to say that it's seducing or deceiving spirits that tempt God's people to exchange the truth of God's word for that which is contrary to the word, the will, and the ways of God. They attempt to make something wrong seem innocent and irresistible. They try to make the difference between black and white seem like a shade of gray. And if we don't know the word of God and diligently seek righteousness and hate every evil way, we're going to be susceptible to the deceiving spirits. So, as the Apostle Paul wrote, the Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits, and deception breeds compromise, which leads to disobedience and spiritual defeat, and falling away, might I indicate. The moral standards in America today were unthinkable 30, 40, 50 years ago, and they've now become commonplace haven't they, even in our churches, even among professing Christians, and even among many of our pastors. And so, we want to take a further look at this matter of deception. Some of you will note that I wrote a book called Seduction of the Saints, How to Stay Pure in a World of Deception. And I want to uh, just share with you some details about how we get into this mode of deception, how we do it, how are we so easily seduced, and how do we justify it? And so I hope you'll listen very carefully because I think that there are a number of folk listening today whose lives will be touched as we talk about these things uh, with some degree of particularity. You see, all sin is attitude and behavior specific. Therefore, all repentance is attitude and behavior specific. So we have to be specific. We have to be as specific as we possibly can without being mean or ugly or self-righteous and so on. And hopefully you will never hear or feel self-righteousness here on this program. We all have to deal with seduction. We all have to deal with deception. And we all have to deal with the motivations of the heart that get us there. So the first thing that we need to be clearly aware of is not just what our knowledge is, but what our willingness to follow that which we know is. People love to quote that passage that... uh, Um, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Well, it's true, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, but lack of knowledge isn't really the point. Knowledge is just information. The problem is that the people are not willing to embrace the knowledge of God and the knowledge of his word. We can know all about God, we can know all about things in his word, all about truths in his word, but it still does nothing for us. It's not because we're totally ignorant of what it says, it's because our minds and our hearts are not open to embrace it, to agree with it. And if we don't agree with God, we disagree with him. And to disagree with God will end up in dis 
obedience. You see how this works? So obedience is the key. To obey is better than sacrifice, better than all our religious efforts. The the, uh, prophet Samuel quoted that to King Saul, the first king of Israel, that tried to just himself, uh, uh, justify himself uh, by saying that, uh, you know, the people, uh, they save the best of the sheep and so on to sacrifice to the Lord, as if somehow that's what God wanted. No, God had said, I want you to utterly and totally destroy everything. But Saul decided to elevate his own viewpoint and that of the people over what God had said. The same was true with Eve in the garden. Remember, Satan came to her, Lucifer, the deceiver, the serpent, came to her and asked a question, hath God said? Hath God said? Those are three of the most important words in the entire Bible, and perhaps one of the two or three most important questions in the whole Bible. Hath God said? So, how did Eve respond? She was not ignorant of what God said. Adam had told her what God said because God had spoken it directly to him. And so she communicated to Satan what God had said. We're not supposed to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day we eat of it we'll surely die. She knew what God had said, but Satan played upon what God had said. He tried to put a spin on it by rationalizing, helping her to rationalize why God said it. and so enabled her to be deceived. He said, did did God say you would surely die? No, no. The reason God said that is because he knows that in the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to be like him. You're going to know good and evil. You're going to be just like him. Oh, boy, that sounded pretty attractive to Eve. How many times does our dissing what God has said sound attractive to us? In fact, that's the main reason we disobey. The main reason we disobey is because one way or another, we either convince ourselves or the enemy of our soul convinces us or the worldly spirit around us or the people around us convince us that we don't necessarily have to obey. We can do it our way. That's what Frank Sinatra said, didn't he? I'll do it my way. What our mantra should be is, I'll do it God's way. But America's mantra is, I'll do it my way. Thank you very much. And by the way, if I ever really get in in serious need of you, Lord, I'll be sure to send up a smoke signal. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So we're trying to be as honest and as forward, as straightforward as we possibly can here because you know that you're easily deceived. You know that. You, if you don't know that, then you are blind in one eye and refuse to see out of the other. Because the heart of man is desperately wicked, including yours and mine. Who can know it? 
That's what the prophet Jeremiah said. God said that through Jeremiah. The heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? So, we know that we are drawn away of our own will, our own lust. God doesn't tempt every, any man. The brother of Jesus said so. James, he said, God it cannot be tempted with evil. He doesn't tempt anyone, but we're drawn away of our own lust and enticed. So we want to look at how we are enticed. There are different ways that we are enticed. We have a war going on. It's the war. We, we have three main enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, I have a feeling that the flesh and the world actually are so strong in our lives that the devil doesn't have to do much. (laughs) He just doesn't have much work to do because we do it on ourselves. So spiritual warfare is largely a matter of what's going on between our ears. In our minds, in our hearts, in our ear, between our ears. So if you were to go to the book of Revelation and the warnings to the seven churches of Asia for the end times, every one of those, except I think one, is followed by these words. He that hath an ear, let him hear. He that hath an ear, let him hear. But we all have ears, don't we? We all have ears. The problem is we're not necessarily willing to follow what we hear. The Bible says, take heed what you hear. And then in another place, it says, take heed how you hear. Because we're supposed to be doers of the word and not hearers only. So knowledge alone doesn't cut it. There are people who have virtually memorized the whole Bible, but they don't walk in the fullness of it. They don't walk with spiritual minds. They just know they have a verbatim understanding of what the Bible says, but they don't follow it. There are pastors like that. You'd be shocked, but there are many. I'm not saying that to uh, undermine pastors, but pastors put their pants on one leg at a time like you do. They also are prone to deception. In fact, in some respects, even more prone. Because there are other temptations that are greater than in the pastor's life than in yours. Like an intense desire to please the people that takes over for their willingness to please God. So, let's move forward now into looking at what is it that entices us to be deceived, to be seduced, and a default on our faith. Now, before we get into that, I want to make available to you my book, Seduction of the Saints, How to Stay Pure in a World of Deception. We're going to take a look at just one page, 
one page out of this entire book. And it's going to be so helpful. And if you think this one page really goes for it, just imagine what the rest of the book does. It's the reason why some have said that the book, this book, is the most important book they've ever read other than the Bible. Because it is so applicational. Not just informational. Oh, it's full of information, all right. But it applies that information in such a way that you cannot read it and not be changed. You can't truly read it with an open heart and an open mind and open ears and not be changed. Like what some people say about this program. You just can't listen to Viewpoint long and not be changed. So here it is. Seduction of the Saints, it's an $18 book, yours for $15. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or you can write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Again, Seduction of the Saints. Staying pure in a world of deception. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismar. You'll notice in the little 60-second uh, spot there, you talked about marriage. I want to share you with with you something that came from the Christian Post concerning the future of Christian marriage and helps to understand what we are just talking about, how we can know the truth. We can have the knowledge that God wants us to have and still not do it. So the article says that being married today made us who we are. On the other hand, This view, the biblical view of marriage, has been replaced by a different one and what some call the capstone view of marriage, that marriage is a finishing touch to add to a life after individual careers have been achieved, after personal goals have been checked off, and after we've discovered who we are. The writers say this is a massive shift in our ideas about marriage. It has all kinds of consequences, from delayed weddings to cratering the fertility rate to normalizing premarital sex and cohabitation. And the most consequential changes are occurring within the church. 
A book was done to study the future of Christian marriage, and it was looking at numerous Christian young people from seven countries. One of the most counterintuitive findings in the future of Christian marriage is that Christian young people around the world still have a recognizably biblical ideal for what marriage should be. A lifelong union between men and women, a picture of Christ and his church, and so on. In other words, they have the knowledge about it. But here is what the study found. Tragically, far fewer practice or even try to practice this design. The average age at first marriage is nearing historic highs in nearly every country, and cohabitation is quickly becoming the common lifestyle choice everywhere, even for young people in the church. And it's true. That is showing how far we have fallen in the past, say, 50 years. Actually, I would say more like 60 years. Now, I want to go to the book, my book, Seduction of the Saints, in a chapter called The Truth About Deception. There are three chapters in the book called The Truth About Deception, part one, part two, and part three. This is one of those three parts. Listen very carefully, and we're going to unfold this, shall we speak, apply it uh, in ways that we cannot miss its implication. We go back to the word disobedience. Now, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Four times in John 14, he repeats this theme. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you don't love me, you won't. If you love me and keep my commandments, then I and my Father will manifest ourselves to you. That's the gist of it. Obedience. Yet the word obey has fallen on seriously hard times among God's people. In fact, so much so that it has become the most despised and hated word in the church today. You know how we fight against it? We call it legalism. Legalism has become the defensive term to fight against that which God says is the only way to please him, to obey him. So, disobedience is the dissing of obedience. In other words, it's choosing and acting contrary to God's word, his ways, and his will. So disobedience to the word of God has to be dangerous, right? Because disobedience is always birthed in deception, some kind of deception. And all disobedience begins with deceptive thinking that usually includes some or all of the ideas that we're going to talk about here. So I hope you're sitting down. You might want to put a seatbelt on uh, because it's possible that this could come close to home in some way. I don't know you. I can't see the whites in your eyes. Back in the Revolutionary War, they said, don't shoot until you see the whites in their eyes. But I can't see the whites in your eyes. But God can. <laughs> you can run, but you can't hide. There's going to come a time in the end times when people are going to try to hide from him. When Christ himself actually shows up, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that the people on the earth, both small and great, 
are going to look for the rocks to hide their face, and the rocks are going to cry out, no hiding place. There's no hiding place down here. That time is coming. But for now, we have an opportunity, see. We have an opportunity to straighten our lives out and conform them to the word, the will, and the ways of the Lord so that we're not deceived. So the very first thing, these ideas that lead us into disobedience is this. The phrase, but that doesn't seem right. Now, there is a passage in the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 12, that says that men do that which is right in their own eyes, that there is a way that seems right to a person, but the end thereof is the ways of death. There is a way that seems right. Now, let me give you a quote out of the 1970s, a music piece, very, very famous, very popular, uh, that was sung by a famous Christian singer. How can it be wrong when it seems so right? How can it be wrong when it seems so right? Now you light up my life. Now it's talking about actually getting involved sexually with someone that would be contrary to the word, the will, and the ways of God. How can it be wrong when it seems so right or when it feels so right? That is exactly how Christians think today. Young people feel that way. Their parents think that way. In fact, many of their pastors think that way. And so they will justify, even to people who come to them for counseling, they will justify what God has prohibited on the basis of, well, how can it be wrong when it seems so right? When we say that, do you realize what we're doing? We're actually making ourselves equal to God, that we're God equivalents, that our viewpoint and our feelings are equal in authority to God's. How many times would a young child say to his parents, when his parent says, male or female, says to the child, "Uh, don't do that, or I don't want you to go there, and the child says, Why? But why, Mommy? But why, Daddy? And it used to be said, yours is not to reason why, yours is but to do or die. In other words, you, your role is to obey. My role is to guide you because I know more about your circumstances. I know more about life's problems. I know more about the dangers. So please, when you're young, please just listen and do what I say. And that's what God is saying. He's not asking us to reason with him about why he's calling it. He just says, do it. Because I'm I'm God. And there is none other. You're not God. I am. So why don't you just kind of get that in your thick skull and agree? Now, the next one is, But that isn't what most are saying or doing. But that isn't what most are saying or doing. Okay? So that's the argument, the democratic argument, the majority rule. 
So if the majority are divorcing their spouses or if the majority are getting remarried after divorce when their spouse is still living, then we, we, we form the opinion that, well, the majority are doing so it must be right. Pastors are making judgments like that all the time. They don't want to hurt the people. They don't want to make them feel bad. So they go along to get along. And they justify it on the basis, well, this is what people are doing now. This is what the majority in the church are doing now. Is that a basis for forming a decision as a Christian? And if the majority of the people are taking the mark of the beast, so you're going to justify doing it too. If the government is compelling the majority of the people to take a vaccine that increasingly scientists, in fact, just today, about 50, 60 well-known scientists have come out and said this vac- these vaccines are dangerous. Is anybody listening? No, they're jumping on the bandwagon. Bandwagoning your life is very dangerous. Another is... But my pastor or that prophet said. But my pastor or that prophet said. What's wrong with that? Well, for one thing, it's shifting the blame. It's shifting the responsibility. Are you going to stand on the day of judgment before God and said, but my pastor said? Or that prophet said? And God's going to, how's God going to respond? But here's what I said. You're going to be pretty embarrassed, aren't you? You see, that's why we're supposed to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed or deceived, rightly dividing the word of truth. We cannot say, but my pastor or that teacher or that prophet said. We have to test the spirits, test the truth. Sometimes there is biblical and godly information that's given but it's misapplied or it's twisted in order to make people feel better. That's not righteousness, friends. But how about this big one? But you don't understand my circumstances. Wow. So God doesn't understand your circumstances. Everything is new to him. He's from age to age the same, but he doesn't understand you. Really? Are these things hitting home? We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church.
Disobedience to the word of the Lord is dangerous. Disobedience is dissing what God has said, disagreeing with it, and then conducting your life and your decisions accordingly. And all disobedience begins with deceptive thinking. Now, we've been going through, in the last segment of the program, some of the ways that uh, we engage in deceptive thinking. Uh, And now we're going to take a look at several more. How about this one? But I prayed about it. (laughs) I can't tell you how many people say that. You know, I practiced law for 20 years there in Southern California in the largest family law court of the nation. 40% of my practice was in the area of family law, and 80% came from professing Christians. I cannot tell you how many people came into my law office looking for a Christian lawyer, and I would talk with them in the initial consultation at great length, and they say, well, I prayed about it, and God's given me approval to divorce my spouse. Or, I prayed about it, and God's given me approval to to remarry when my spouse is still living. Or, who knows, any number of other things. Here's another one. Christian businessmen having an opportunity to go into uh, a partnership with a non-Christian, and uh, you ask them, well, uh, are you going to do it? And almost invariably, they will answer, well, I prayed about it, and I did my due diligence, and it looks okay. So I'm going to do it. But what did God have to say about it? He said, "Not be, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Oh, well, yeah, he did say that, but. You see how we do it? But. I prayed about it, but. You see, A.W. Tozer made an interesting statement. He said, prayer is no substitute for obedience. And it's true. You can't pray yourself out from under the will of God. That's what Balaam tried to do in Numbers chapter, what, 22, 23, 24. It's a classic picture. You ought to read it. Balaam was a prophet of God, and he tried five times to pray himself under the known, out from under the known will of God. God even had to speak to him through the mouth of a donkey to get his attention. How many of us has God had to speak through through the mouth of a donkey? Here's another one. But God wants me happy. I'm not saying that God doesn't want you happy. But what he really wants, he wants you to be holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy. We don't sing a song that says, our God is a happy God. No. He's a holy God. That's why he's an awesome God. When we pursue happiness as opposed to holiness, what we find is we become neither happy nor holy. The pursuit of happiness may be in the Declaration of Independence, but it's not in God's Declaration of Dependence. Dependence upon Him. You see, it's not that God doesn't want us happy, but He knows that we will be happiest if we're holiest in obeying His Word. 
It's when we don't that we become exceedingly unhappy because all of the burdens of sin start coming down on us eventually. Here's another one. But I'll miss out on this opportunity. Really? So you're going to miss out on the opportunity to marry this frisky filly, even though you know she's not a true believer, and you're rationalizing, well, she goes to church, or she's going to go to church with me, and uh, uh, she's going to become a Christian because I'm a Christian, or vice versa, he's going to become a Christian because I'm a Christian. Look, marriage is not an evangelistic enterprise, period. Never, never, never engage in that kind of thinking. It's very dangerous. And the same is true with going into business opportunities, being unequally yoked, or things that are contrary to the word, the will, and the spirit of the Lord. Here's another one. But I read in several books that But I read in several books that, okay, how about the good book? Which cares authority for you? The books that you read or the good book? Bible. We're supposed to cast down our own reasonings and thoughts and bring every one of our thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Right there, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. Here's another common but it doesn't fit with our modern culture. Well, true. It doesn't fit with our modern culture. The Bible says we're called to be different, a peculiar people, called unto righteousness and holiness and perfection before God, not like the culture around us. We're called to be like Christ, not like the culture, right? Some would say, but I just can't do it. I just can't do it. And then the next day, they'll go around and they'll quote Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. As a theory, a religious theory. But when it comes time to obey God, I can't do it. You see how we rationalize? Unbelievable how we rationalize. But here is one of the biggest ones of all. But God couldn't possibly mean that. Or, but could God possibly mean that? We're supposed to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lead not unto our own understanding, right? In all our ways, we're supposed to acknowledge him and he will direct our paths. So why don't we? You know why? because we don't want to. So, my grandchildren, my oldest grandchildren, they know what's coming when I start to say this, because they lived in our home for quite a period of time, or were under our tutelage, at least, as my oldest daughter worked for me, and when the kids were young, oftentimes they spent a great deal of time in our home. And so I had, was given authority to bring about some parental discipline, co-disciplining with the parents. And uh, sometimes I would say, well, I don't, I, I want you to do this, I want you to do that. And their answer was, but I don't want to. I know you've never said that, and I know you've never heard it said by your children, right? But I don't want to. 
And yet that's exactly what we say to God all the time. So here is my answer to my grandchildren. Then change your want to's. <laughs> then change your want to's. That's what God wants us to do. To conform our word, our will, and our ways to his word, his will, and his ways. Change our want to's. Because he says, my ways are not your ways. Neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. So, we have to change our want-tos. But to play fast and loose with God's word is to dance with deception and death. And that's true for pastor and people alike. We have to resist the temptation to rationalize. You see, the Bible says, submit to God and resist the devil. Do you know that when that is quoted, is we almost never quote it correctly? What we say is, resist the devil. No. We have to submit to God first, then resist the devil. And may I encourage you to resist the fleshly propensity to forum shop. Out there looking for some other scripture, some other interpretation, some other pastor, some other prophet, some other church that's going to tell you what you want to hear. You know what? You're dishonest. You're not sincere. And it may feel good today, but it will destroy you tomorrow. Now, the Holy Spirit is present to teach and to guide you. He's the spirit of truth. He'll guide you into all truth. But he's not your feelings. He's there to quicken your faith. In other words, to reveal the word of God to you in its truth. It might pierce, even to the deciding of dividing asunder of soul and spirit, even to the discerning of the thoughts and intents of your heart. But that's what it's for. And that's why we need to spend quality time in it every day. Not just taking some little gospel here and there to think we're going to ward off the devil that way. It doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. And we become the servant of that to which we yield. When we obey, we're the servants of God. When we disobey, we serve Satan and his kingdom, and we give him dominion. And sin leads to death, but obedience leads to righteousness. Is there anybody out there that can say amen? Now you know why Jesus warned. In Matthew 24, talking about the end times, he said, He that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. He was talking about persisting. He was talking about pressing. He was talking about obeying. He was talking about being patient, the patience of the saints, enduring and obeying God to the end, no matter what anybody else is doing. So are you spiritually minded or carnally minded? The carnal mind is enmity, it's at war with God, not even subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So as you and I see Christ's return approaching, we have to be spiritually minded. That means biblically minded, submitting our wills to God's word and will. And to submit to God and his word is going to bring life and peace to you in a world of increasing chaos. Are we there yet?
Oh, I think so. I hope this has been helpful to you here on Viewpoint today. Viewpoint does determine destiny, friends. There are no questions about it. Your viewpoint concerning the subject that we've just been talking about is, has been, and will determine your destiny. Destiny is on the line. America's destiny is on the line. America's destiny is largely predicated on your destiny and that of your family and that of your congregation. So we need to be doers of the word and not hearers only. It's not just about evangelism, friends. That's only one part of doing the word. It's about conforming our ways to God's ways. It's about living a life that is a godly example. We're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his right waysness. And then all the other things will be added unto us. You know that's true. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 6.33. So get a copy of the book, Seduction of the Saints, Staying Pure in a World of Deception. If you think that those things were applicational, not just uh, uh, informational, but applicational, and that was only on one page. One page! <laughs> it's an $18 book. Yours for $15 on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. Uh, give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at Save America Ministries. And I hope, I hope you'll, you'll be telling other people about this program. This is how we get the message out. People will will spread all kinds of nonsense virally. Christians will be engaged in it. Funny stories, pictures, uh, things, and so on. But when it comes down to something that really is important, all of a sudden, they do nothing. This is your opportunity. Send an email to your friends. Tell them about the program. Tell them about the website, saveus.org. And this program will be up, as all of our programs, on our website, under the Viewpoint Broadcast archives, this evening and for the next year. Tell people about it. Help their lives to change. You get out there and be a tool for the kingdom of God to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. And become a partner with us. Send your gifts by faith, friends, to Save America Ministries. Do it today. Go to the website, saveus.org. Make your generous gift that way. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. And let's not be deceived. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is...